Chapter Twenty Two, Part A of the Delafield Affair by Florence Finch Kelly. This LibriVox recording is in the public domain. Chapter Twenty Two, Part A. Reflection and Reaction. Conrad stood still and stared at the Mexican's lessening figure, galloping down the road. Presently he walked across to his mare, stroked her nose, and said softly, "By God, Betty B." For some minutes he gazed at her abstractedly, swearing under his breath, and now and then muttering, "'Alec! Alec Bancroft!' Coherent thought was not yet possible. He felt that José had told him the truth, and yet he could not believe it. Between the opposing convictions his mind lay dazed and inactive. He mounted and turned Brown Betty's nose toward home, riding at a foot-pace with his head down and his attention all indrawn. For a mile or two the mare plodded on quietly, at last resenting the lack of the companionable attentions her master was accustomed to bestow upon her when they rode alone. She snorted several times and switched her tail vigorously, flicking his legs. There was no response. She whinnied softly, waited a little, and prided again. Still her rider was silent. So she stopped, lifted her head, and neighed loudly. Conrad aroused himself. "'What is it, Betty?' he said, looking searchingly around the plain. Nothing was in sight save its usual silent habitants. He dismounted, and examined her anxiously. She nipped him playfully, nickered gently, and poked her nose into his coat-pocket. "'Betty B., you're a rogue!' he exclaimed, pulling her ear. "'You're just lonesome and want me to talk to you. My, but you're spoiled!' He stroked her neck affectionately, then suddenly leaned against her, buried his face in her mane, and a single deep breath that was half a sob shook his body. "'Betty,' he muttered, "'to find that your best friend is the damnedest villain that ever went unhung.' The little episode with the mare broke up the paralysis that staggering surprise had set upon both thought and feeling. As he mounted again his heart was hot and his mind worked rapidly. "'The damned villain!' he exclaimed savagely. "'To be pretending such friendship with me when he knew what he had done!' He spurred Brown Betty to a gallop. The tyrannous habit of mind, engendered by long-wanted thought and desire, urged him on to face at once the man who had despoiled his father and deprived him of his birthright. The old anger and hate surged over him, and his pulses beat swift and hard. For a while he forgot the personality of the enemy he had run to earth at last. Through his set teeth came whispered curses of hatred and contempt and his tongue clung to the shameful epithets he longed to throw in the fellow's face. Not fast enough could he ride to keep pace with his desire. Revenge, so long fed with hope and promise, was calling to be sated. "'Faster, Betty, faster!' he called to the mare, spurring her on. But the very violence of his mood presently induced the beginning of reaction. He remembered who it was that he was riding so fast to expose and strike down. Alec. Alec Bancroft, he murmured, and slowed the mare's racing feet. The tenderness and loyalty of friendship raised still small voices in his heart. Once again the thing staggered him. It seemed incredible. In the depths of his heart was conviction that José González had told him the truth. But could he go to his best friend with such a charge to taunt, insult, and challenge to death on the word of a Mexican assassin? The idea repelled him and he was glad of the misgiving, unwilling to believe that the quest he had followed, with such eager determination, was leading him to the door of Alexander Bancroft. "'I ought—I ought to have confirmation, I suppose,' 
he said to himself uncertainly and so still undecided feeling that it was truth and yet unwilling to believe he came to the gate of his own corral after he had unsaddled and stabled brown betty he went through the kitchen for a drink of water from the big olla wrapped in a wet coffee sack that stood always in the drying wind and the shade of a tree beside the door mrs peters came in from the storeroom with a panful of potatoes hank had to go to white rock this morning she said and he brought some mail for you it's on your desk conrad passed through the series of rooms opening one out of another to the front on his desk lay some papers and a single letter littleton he exclaimed as he hastily tore it open he read my dear kurt i have at last got for you the information we've been searching for so long his eyes eagerly rushed over the next few lines i have satisfied myself that the man we've been trailing all these years is alexander bancroft a banker and prominent man in new mexico who lives at golden is that place anywhere near you and for a number of years has been considered one of the most solid upright and influential citizens of your territory the letter dropped from curtis's fingers and his heart gave a great thump that sent the blood in a crimson wave over his face my god then it's true he said aloud and sat for a moment gazing at the letter in the same stupefied way he had looked after gonzalez's retreating figure a grim smile twisted the corners of his mouth as he read on you may know him delafield's history as we've got it now makes his case one of those curious romances of detective work whose equal could hardly be found in fiction we missed long ago the clue that would have led us to success in those gaps in his trail we never tried to fill because we came upon his tracks again so easily a little later while working on another case recently i had occasion to look through an omnibus bill passed years ago by an arizona legislature it contained an astonishing ruck of things and among them was a section authorizing william j brown to change his name to alexander bancroft i knew that william j brown was one of the names under which delafield had once traded in mines down there and that when we next found him after he had dropped that name it was as john smith when he went down into old mexico with john mason hardy this name of bancroft sandwiched in there and with such pains to legalize it when we had found no track of it elsewhere made me prick up my ears i looked deeper into the matter and found that he had used this name of bancroft only when he went to visit his wife and daughter who lived most of the time in san francisco or denver and were known by that name when last we had track of the man before i ran across rutherford jenkins it was you will remember as henry c williams and then we lost all trace of him that was because he went then on a visit to his wife and daughter in denver and stayed there for some months he had made a good clean-up about that time and increased it by some lucky trading on the denver stock exchange then he went to new mexico kept the name of bancroft engaged in other business as well as mining and settled down to be a permanent citizen i congratulate you upon the successful termination of our long chase i understand bancroft is a man of considerable property and i hope you will be able to make him disgorge some of the goods he stole long ago i have written this much hurriedly just to give you an outline of my discoveries at once but i have all the necessary proofs and whenever you want to bring the case to trial they are at your service conrad folded the letter carefully and put it in his pocket he sat quite still whispering alec alec bancroft 
Presently his face went red again, and starting up he hurried into the corral, and threw the saddle again upon Brown Betty. Outside the gate, scarcely looking which way he went, he headed the mare toward Golden, and galloped away across the hills and into the distance. He never knew just where or how far he rode that day. Afterward he remembered that sometimes he had galloped along a road, and sometimes across the trackless plain, that sometimes he had found himself urging Betty to her utmost speed, and again had traversed miles at a walk, or had stood for a long time stock-still. When he left the house the old idea that had enthralled him so long was clamoring in his heart. That may have been why, unconsciously, he rode at first down the road toward Golden. It was not enough for him to take all my father had, life as well as money, and to make me drudge through my youth, but now he must set a hired killer upon me to stick me in the back. So galloped his angry thought as Brown Betty's hoofs sped over the ground toward Bancroft's home. Why didn't he come out in the open like a man and tell me who he was, and let us fight it out on the square? To send a man to live under my roof, and hire him to rope me, or stick me, or shoot me from ambush, and to pretend to be my good friend all the time. Coward! Thief! Murderer! Then somehow, through his seething mind, for the first time came the remembrance of Lucy, and quickly followed the idea that perhaps Bancroft had gone about it in this secret way to save her from all knowledge of his disgraceful past. He checked Brown Betty's gallop to a walk. He knew I was after him, hot foot, now ran Curtis's thought, and he sure had the right to head me off if he could, but he ought to have done it on the square. He remembered the warnings Bancroft had given him about Gonzales and about the danger of pursuing Delafield, and chuckled unmirthfully. "'I reckon he was squaring himself to his own conscience,' he said aloud. Conrad looked about him and saw that he was on the road to Golden. Then came the flashing idea that he was on his way to kill Lucy's father. Instantly his feeling revolted. Whirling the mare's head, he struck off across the plain to the eastward, and after some miles struck the road to Randall. By that time he was pondering painfully the matter of Lucy and Homer. That evening, without doubt, Homer would come home, proud and happy, and tell him that he and Lucy were engaged. And this would be his wedding present to the girl he loved, and the brother he had cared for almost since babyhood, the dead body of her father. Then came pelting back the memory of his own wrongs, and Brown Betty was sent scudding down the road as remembrance and habit again lashed his heart. He turned about and raced back along the road toward Golden, hot with the old memories and sore with the newly discovered duplicity of his friend. "'Even if I don't kill him,' he thought, "'I'll tell him what he is. I'll throw his villainy and his cowardice in his face. I'll tell him he's a sneak and a coward, and to draw if he dares.' His imagination rushed on through the scene and showed him, at the end, Bancroft's bleeding body at his feet. End of chapter 22, part A, 